all so much for coming this afternoon. Um, for our final session, we have um, artist Michele Mattison in conversation with Lisa Vandervoort. Michele creates sculptures and installations that investigate issues of migration, labor, cultivation, creation, and destruction. He presented his first UK solo exhibition at Tyburn Gallery in London in February this year and has previously held exhibitions in Belgium, Portugal, and South Africa, among many others. He was featured in Dudziro, interrogating the visions of religious beliefs at the Zimbabwe Pavilion at the 55th Venice Biennale in 2013, and his work is also included in the collection of Cape Town's Zeitz Museum of Contemporary Art Africa. Lisa is an independent art historian and writer currently based in London. Her academic research and writing is mostly in the field of contemporary African and especially South African art, and she is a regular art critic for Contemporary And. She holds a PhD from the State University of New York, Stony Brook University, where she was a Fulbright scholar, before returning to the University of Cape Town, where she taught art history and visual studies for many years. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, so I'll start. Um, try and start. Um, okay. Am I on? Did I switch off? Okay. Um, okay, so hello, everybody. Um, so I thought one of the ways to maybe structure this talk is, uh, and obviously to get Michaela chance to speak about his work and show us some of his work because you would have, if you've walked through, you would have seen two of his works in Tyburn. Um, one of the Zimbabwean birds, reproduction of, you know, interpretation of that, and the other one is a sort of a flat work on the wall. And we'll get to that and we'll speak to that. But I thought one way to maybe structure this thought, this, this talk, is to think about two intersecting poles that I think that are, that are very distinctive in his work, and that first is materiality, and secondly, that of place. And of course, they, you know, they're very closely connected, but just for the purposes of structuring our talk this afternoon, um, maybe let's start by thinking about material, um, which is very distinctive in Michele's um, practice. So I wanted to just say, when I look at your work, there's two things that strike me. There's, on the one hand, it's the sort of rediscovering of the ordinary. It is taking ordinary objects um, and using them either as found objects, something which is a recurrent theme throughout this fair, and we have seen this in the talks today and in various other places. So there's that on the one side. At the same time, there's this thing of taking ordinary objects and recasting them, and through that recasting, remaking, repurposing them in different materials, using materiality to make them, in a way, strange, to make us aware of these objects. Um, so do you want to just say something about how you, and maybe introduce us to the different mm. materials that you use. Um, yeah, I thought that the way you um, introduced this idea of rediscovering the ordinary was, was um, really sort of central to, to my practice. Mm -hmm. Because, um, and the interesting thing about it is that there's a, there's a, there's a crossover be, um, between um, even the ordinary materials and um, the ordinary object. Um, the the range of um, sort of sculptural materials that I use is also quite interesting. And as a medium, um, you have such uh, a wide range of opportunity to use 
different materials. Mm. Um, and I've always been interested in, in finding the materials that not only correspond to, to the object, but also um, in a way elevate even the material, not just the object that I'm using in my work, but also the material. Um, I'm not saying that for every single work I do that, but certainly it, it's, a, it's a kind of conscious um, uh, part of my process. Do you want to just show some images? Yeah. Um, so this piece um, I uh, created for um, an exhibition uh, entitled Manual in Cape Town in uh, 2014-15, yeah. And it's, uh, the work is made out of cast concrete and um, these wood bundles are taken from the side of the road in Mozambique where they are sold as uh, firewood or uh, for use as, as heating or for cooking. Um, and you can just go on the side of the road and, and buy your bundle of wood. Uh, and they come in these very neatly sort of stacked round things with a little bit of kindling and slightly larger logs. So it's sort of like one, one go, sort of fire it up. Um, and then you've got your cooking for the day. Um, and what I did is then I then uh, recast them in, in concrete. Um, and I'd started to investigate concrete as a material and as a medium um, because the title of the show was called Manual. And I was looking at the, um, the idea of manual labor as a form of employment, mm. um, especially for migrants, um, unemployed, um, uneducated um, people within Southern Africa. You can stand on the side of the road and sort of wave your hand out and someone will come pick you up yeah. and hire you for the day for, you know, 10 pounds, whatever. And you go and you, and you dig and you mix concrete. Um, so it's very basic. But at the same time, you know, I was looking at this kind of idea of the brutality, but also the integrity of labor. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that's probably a good segue into another point I wanted to make. At this exhibition, Manual, 2014, um, there were... Certain images, there's, uh, I think it was called um, what was Digging Down, and yeah. maybe you can show some of those. Okay. I'm just going to skip through, yeah. Yeah. That one, Dug a Boy, and the one with the oh, hose, what was that called? Um, that was. Uh, uh, yeah, that one. Yeah. And then there was also the one with the spades, yeah. was it? And when I looked at, when I encountered these images the first time, for me, it's just on a formal level, there was some sort of correspondence with constructivism, right? With um, Russian constructivism, and even before that, with futurism, just this kind of repetition of the same image through space, the same movement through space. And I thought about that in relation to Michele's work. And of course, um, constructivism, early futurism, was all about um, industrialism and technology, and you know, technology at the time, um, liberating us this sort of utopian, you know, to the, to the extent where the futurists um, were happy about World War I because um, the, the onset of the industrial machination is going to liberate us. Um, and, of course, what you're saying is, to some extent, it's this dystopian that, in some cases, that, that, that this kind of tools have brought for many people who are caught in this sort of rut and have no options of, of yeah. labour. So I think the whole notion of labour is yeah. so central to all the materials that you work with. But, now. you know, what, the, that word that you used is really important, the idea of liberating mm. and liberation. Um, the, both, both civil wars in Zimbabwe and, and Mozambique and even South Africa were, were described as... Um, the war 
of, of liberation. Right. So, um, in a sense, these um, these um, you know fighting for for majority rule from from um, uh, the colonial um, white you know white minority power. Um, the idea of liberation um, was was a central theme to that, and um, the the these sort of utopian parts of, of these social, socialist, communist, um, Soviet-inspired um, ideals that were mm. um, informing um, those fights for, for independence. Uh, a big part of that was the idea that, you know, by, uh, by giving back the, the power to the worker, that... Um, there'll be economic liberation as well. There'll be economic liberation, um, and it would... Um, um, Feed and, and, yeah. and grow these new African democracies. Mm. And yet I find that 20, 30 years later, these tools are still in some ways um, having to be used. And um, It hasn't brought economic liberation. Exactly. So to some extent it's so I, I, a, the, sort of a form of enslavement in yeah, many ways. And so the idea of that kind of revolution and, the, and time passing, um, which would you know, go back to um, this work here, um, which is called revolution, um, how these objects um, of liberation have somehow been compromised. Um. And by the way, these, an, a version of this, a slightly bigger ring of this is on show at Taliban Gallery. It's called, it's Revolution 2, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. This is Revolution 1. And, and medium? So these are um, cut out of wood and then charred to a kind of charcoal um, surface. Um, and the, uh, the original sort of concept for this work came from the, uh, the use of these cut-out AK-47s during the liberation struggles. Because there wasn't a huge access to real guns, in the training camps they would then have to cut the guns out and they'd be used for um, training purposes within the, the bush camps. Um, hidden in, in, in the country. Um, but the guns themselves, these wooden guns, then became a kind of um, symbol or uh, protest tool, you know. So if you'd, you'd have them, uh, if, if and even now, they would be yeah. used outside of those training camps as a kind of protest object. Mm -hmm. um, and I used that and have reinterpreted it to question the, um, the significance of using these iconic objects um, as a political tool and how that has been compromised. Um, so this image is quite interesting. It's taken from a performance in Mozambique, um, which they sometimes sort of put on during celebrations and concerts where they reenact um, parts of the uh, liberation civil war. Um, and these girls were part of a, a performance dance group and they come out and they do a dance and they perform with these, with these guns to kind of celebrate the, um, that part of history, that the, 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 uh, the fight for, for mm. independence in Mozambique. So would you say your works are then, if you, know, if you are repurposing all these materials, you are, I mean, is it, a, is it a critique of what came with that liberation or is it more um, sort of um, a, a form of activism? I mean, how would, what, what would you describe it? If, you, if you're repurposing it in these materials, you're recasting it, you're yeah. taking a gun and putting it in charred wood, what, 
I'm just exploring. What I'm trying to do really is just explore and, and elevate these objects and, and to ask questions. Um, so there is some critique, there's some um, questioning, uh, but also just presenting and saying, you know, asking the question, where, where have we come? What, what, is, what is our history mm. as artists? You know, what are we taking forward? What are we, you know, what, what is the future of, um, of these new democracies in Africa? And maybe relating to that, I mean, this is unrelated to that sort of liberation, but the yeah. idea of the, the, the uh, Millies, you know, the, um, the installation that you presented in um, Venice in 2013. You want yes. to say something? It's a, so it's sort of an, an homage to um, Ai Weiwei, I suppose, with the sunflower seeds. It was just a round ring of, of corn. Do you have it? The maize? Do you yes, have I that? do, yeah. Um, a little bit forward from here. Okay, we'll come back to some of these images. We're kind of doing it. There we go. Um, and do you want to just introduce this element of you know the, the materials that you use with? Okay. Um, so these are cast in ceramic, um, and they the piece is called chibage, which is the Shona word for maize or, or corn, and um, the. The grouping of the works that I had at Venice, the, it was called Harvest, um, and I was looking at the, the ritual of um, planting and cultivating uh, maize um, in Zim and so the in labor Southern of Africa. That. The labor yeah. of that, but also the yearly ritual of it, so right. just before the rains come. And um, the significance of you people, mm -hmm. you know, you'll see um, people in, in their back gardens on the side of the road. Um, cultivating the ground and getting ready to plant and then at the end of it you know you you have your harvest um, and there's a saying at the end of the you know rainy season how was how was your crop you know did you have a good crop um, and the size of your pile of, of, of mealies will then symbolize you know if you've had a good rainy yeah, yeah. season or a poor rainy season uh, or how much you've been able to plant um, uh, but also as a kind of economic um, and social signifier, um, the, the, the maize has always been a, a way for um, uh, people to have some food on their plate, you know. Right, so, so even so if you have like a two, three square meters of land, or even on the side of the road, um, so you'll be driving through Zimbabwe and literally on the, on the curbs and, you know, in people any sort of open Because it's area. a poor, it's a part of the economy. Exactly. Right. But it's a very subsistence kind mm. of way of living. Right. You know. And um, do you want to look at the, those works of, you know, the tree cutting, all those, those forms in which people are self-employing themselves? And, the yeah. and again, the appearance of those jerry cans that we just heard of in the previous, um, in the, the previous talk. Okay. You know, that um, jumping around a bit, hold on. Well, I'm, I'm relating it to the sense of, um, you know, employment of people. Right. Labor of you, um, right? And I, you know, I reference a lot of things to what I see um, around me as as I walk through the city or as I um, as I move around. And for me, the street is a very obvious signifier of people of people's interests and what um, you know, whether it's food or um, objects. It's a very direct relation to. Uh, Sort of supply and demand, yeah. you know, um, whether you're selling cheap Chinese things or if you have a um, 
a chainsaw, you're able to then put a sign up and say, you know, I, I, can, I can cut your trees and, and earn a bit of money. Um, and that's when I sort of repurposed that, that piece into, into this work. Um, but also, what I like about this piece is that it's, it, it also represents the, um, that idea of usefulness and uh, sort of repurposing objects. So, you know, the, the red part is uh, just an old oil can. Um, and it, just with a sort of piece of wood sort of stuck into it, it starts to resemble a, uh, a chainsaw. And it's a very Zimbabwean, it's just a very clever Zimbabwean way of putting two very simple things together. And it's, for me, it kind of represents this inherent, um, uh, I'm trying to find the word, um, creativity, resourcefulness, resourcefulness right. exactly. Um, to um, even have this kind of artistic sensibility, you know, to create this, these objects. Out of a and yet it's also economy. very, very closely related to mm. economic mm. resourcefulness Anti as well. And the choice to recast it in concrete or to, I mean, how do these materials suggest themselves? How exactly, do you, yeah. Why concrete? Why So this piece is wood? also the, 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 um, the blade, as you can see, is blunt and the, 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 the body is cast in concrete. Um, I think what I'm, what I'm, what is part of my work is, is by elevating it, I'm also taking the life out of these objects and, and, and by doing that sort of monumentalizing them. And so adding that kind of weight mm -hmm. um, to it, sort of taking the life out of them. Mm. Um, but in a sense, also asking the question as when, when, how do we put the life back into it as well? Right. Um, so these objects are all very static. Um, yeah. But at the same time, there's a, there's a sort of opportunity there as well, you know, asking the question, how do, we, how do we bring life back into these things? But I think it's interesting that, in a way, it's these functional objects that you focus on, these sort of everyday objects, and in many cases you undermine that very function. Um, and maybe if we look at those jerry can ones, not that I want you to... yeah. So we've seen these, I mean, this... Once again, if you walk through the fair, there's almost language and this, this has become sort of a form of, of, of language almost, if, you know, if you think of Romuald Khazoumé, um, Serge Atukwe that we've just spoken to, um, and you know, this image and um, Agbojilu, um, Leon Say Raphael Agbojilu uses this, these jerry cans because it's, a, it's, it's kind of currency in many places. Um, that's, a, that's a really good word, it's mm. currency, you know, and you, if you saw if you saw a scene like this in London, you, would, you wouldn't know what the hell was going on, you know. But, but in Africa, and in Southern Africa, or, and a, a, around all, all parts of Africa, these, and they all have different names. They're known as gallons, or in Zimbabwe they're called chigubus. So each place has a certain name for them. And so maybe tell the story of how you, you know, what you said about the, at the petrol station. Yeah, so that my first encounter with, with the idea of, of these containers um, appeared in Zimbabwe. Um, after, you know, after there was, like, stuff started going down, politically, um, there started to be quite severe shortages of basic commodities, including petrol. And the, this, this container suddenly started to hold a lot of importance because it meant that you had to look for petrol. You had to kind of keep one of these things in your car or walk around and look for a petrol station that had petrol or paraffin um, in the country. And uh, it just became such a big part of life for 
any Zimbabwean, rich or poor, um, you, you, it, it kind of, it was almost like an equalizing thing mm. for everyone, you yeah. know. Because <laughs> everybody needed it to store. Exactly. Um, and I was, I, very early one morning I was driving through the country and um, I went past a petrol station that was, that I think there was, and there was a lot of rumors going around. So you'd hear of like a petrol station, like they were going to get petrol in, or paraffin in, you know, the next day or in 10 hours. And, you know, the, 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 so everyone would phone everyone and you'd like rush there and start, and there were these massive queues. Um, and I think what had happened was that there was this idea that this petrol station was going to have paraffin. So people had gone there with their containers and then over time had waited, waited. And that what had happened is that they then left their containers and it then created this line. Um, That's waiting sort of in their place. Exactly. So, right. they, so each container represented um, a person waiting. A person waiting in the queue. But mm -hmm. everyone had disappeared and they just left these um, uh, gallons, chigubus, in, a, in this beautiful snaking line through the, through the petrol station down the road um, in all different sort of shapes and colors. Um, and just the resourcefulness and, and the, the, the challenge of just surviving day to day mm. during. And I think that that's a big part of my work is that I, I, going back to this idea of the ordinary, you know, sure, you, you read the news and you read about politicians and you read about politics and, and bigger things and what's going on in the world. But how does that really affect day to day life? Right. You know, if you can't if you can't get petrol or if you can't get food. Um, so going back to these very ordinary basic mm -hmm. commodities that for me r resonate and, and become signifiers of a bigger sort of political, right. social, cultural um, uh, situation. Mm. And I mean, I th when I thought of that title sort of for the session, I was drawing on uh, Nyambulu Ndebele, who is a South African academic, who wrote this series of essays, well, it was before that it was just a, a talk that he gave, which was called The Rediscovering of the Ordinary. It was exactly about that. How do people forge liberation, not through huge movements, not through big protests, but in your day-to-day -day life? How does that, how do you give meaning to that on that level? And I exactly. think that yeah. that's exactly what your work does exactly. so you well. Know, you, know, by you, you have Nelson Mandela, you have politi big political stories, big, big political situations. Um, you know, but but there are other stories, the, Exactly, right. what are the smaller stories, right. you know? And how do they tell the same story but in a much smaller way. And then by casting, I think those jerry cans in concrete or whatever, there's a certain weight that's given to it, right? There's exactly. Which in a way is completely the opposite that Serge might be doing, who is sort of cutting them up and recycling them and, you know, yeah. in a sense you're giving sort of permanence back to them, which is, yeah. which is sort of interesting on a sort of metaphorical level. Yeah. yeah, interesting. But even the way Serge does it, you know, it, it talks in such a big way about resourcefulness and what's the availability of materials, right. especially as artists, you know, what can we use around us, you know. We don't have uh, art shops where you can go and buy, you know, expensive oil paints and canvas. So what are the limitations of being an artist in Africa? And how does it become <coughs> then a political statement, right? Exactly. So, you, so you're talking about exactly. environmental, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Um, shall we... Oh, do you want to say something about those? Those are quite interesting. Um, yes, yeah. this was also part of that work, um, and it's um, it's called Head on a Plate, um, and it's quite a literal South African term for um, a dish that's served up to workers on the side of the road, um, and 
the scene is that these sort of shops or, you know, I don't know what you would Stalls, call them. Stalls, yeah. tuck shops, food shops on the side of the road um, would go to the local butchery or the big commercial butcheries and the, the head of the cow is obviously considered as, as offal and it's a very cheap cut of meat. And they would, um, the transport would be a shopping trolley. Okay. So, I'll, you know, and it's, it's also something that I see. It's, it's, as I'm driving to work, I'll see some, someone pushing a trolley cart of, of dead cow heads like down the road towards me. So it's almost a three-dimensional interpretation of the marketplace that they were talking about in the previous, you know, remember they were saying many people in Ghana was expected to do these marketplaces. I mean, it's interesting that it's exactly. almost a cityscape exactly. that you're creating exactly. through sculpture. Yeah. What, what, how did you do these? So I mean, these what are, are these? The, these are cast in bronze. Okay. So in a sense, also monumentalizing um, the, this cheap cut of meat, you know. Usually a bronze is a, is a, a, a famous bust or, you know, something. Right important historical yeah, political sort of figure. Um, so elevating this, this idea of the ordinary, you know, the very cheap meat. Um, which, which gives which, meaning which, to people's lives. Which gives meaning and which provides sustenance and food mm. to, to, the, uh, to the man on the street who has to dig the trench and to hmm. um, uh, dig the trench that is laying, laying, laying fiber optic to the whole country. Yeah, exactly. You know. Okay, so maybe we should move on to, we've looked at many of these works. Yeah, so we talked so, about that. So we? maybe move from materiality and materials and think about place, because I think that's the other, that's the second thing which really strikes me when I think about Michaela's work is not just this very distinctive interpretation of material, but how it's of a very specific place and informed by a very specific place. And I think his whole, your whole artistic practice is very much... Um, about where you're from and who you are, and maybe, yes, this I think is a good place to start. I just wanted to say, I mean, if, I think if anyone has any questions while we're talking, um, if well, anything comes up, please feel free to. But we'll do it in about 10 minutes. Okay, minutes. but if there's, if, I think if there is anything, yeah, people, of course. please feel free to ask a question while we're talking. Um, so this is a work I made a couple of years ago for a, a sculpture park in Johannesburg, and it's based on to um, a 2008 um, story in South Africa where a lot of immigrants who were living in the townships um, around the country started to be quite violently attacked by local South Africans who were venting frustration at you know, the idea, the struggles of life and unemployment and I can't, I can't exactly remember what sparked it off, but suddenly um, foreigners that were living within South African townships became the um, uh, object of very, very violent attacks. And what happened was that the, the government and, and the country were forced to create these kind of temporary refugee camps within the country. So it wasn't necessarily anyone coming across the border, but it was people that were living in South African townships, Zimbabweans, Zambians, Mozambicans, Malawians, who were being attacked and were forced out of their homes and were then having to live in these temporary shelters. So what happened was there was a sort of mushrooming of these white tents around the country. And these, these white tents are quite, you know, um, 
commonly, you, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a common sight in, in uh, war-torn countries, the idea of, you know, these UN mm. tents. Mm. It's, it's something that we are used to. Yeah. But it wasn't something that South Africans were used to. Right. You know, so there was no war going on. No, or no but apparent war. Yeah. No apparent war on the borders, but there was this internal war. So this internal refugee camp right in the middle of... Exactly. Yeah. So all of a sudden there were these sort of barren fields or flays um, around the country, which were then turned into these temporary refugee camps mm -hmm. for um, majority Zimbabweans, but also people from... And were the, was this an installation? Was it actual tents? Or? So what I did was I measured, I, I found one of these tents and I measured it up and I recreated them. Um, using my own materials um, and I decided that what I wanted to do was also create this kind of monument so I didn't make any doors or windows so you can't access the tents um, and for me it was also a representation of the fact that the camps in themselves w couldn't really, you know, you'd be driving down the highway and you'd see these camps. So you, as, as, as a person, weren't really able to access them either. Um, but they were, in, they were in plain sight for everyone. Right. And they actually had to be secured because there was even threat of more violence. Um, onto these communities. Onto these, so the South African police would then have to sort of secure, secure these, these, these sites, mm. you know. So I, that's why I didn't put any doors or windows. So it became a kind of area or a maze of contemplation and you would be able to walk through um, and see these, these white shapes. And in a way pointing to all of our sort of inactivity and complicity in, in all of this. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And the, the, the irony of the white, the sort of purity of white in, this, in these very sort of violent hmm. um, uh, landscapes. Right. And do you want, maybe want to say something like that? Yeah. Um, thinking about place and, I mean, we've spoken a little bit about maze, but yeah. the significance of... Um, so, you know, this, is, this image is taken from a, an informal settlement. It's not really a township, but, it, but people would call it a, a squatter camp opposite my studio. Um, which, which is, is in Johannesburg, which right? Is in You're Johannesburg. based in Johannesburg yeah, now, which right? Is, which is in Johannesburg. And it's also home to South Africans, but also to a lot of immigrants, Zimbabweans, um, Malawians. Um, Somalis and this is a you know the, it's it's hard to describe the conditions <laughs> of know, many of these people really really tough living conditions um, and but what was and you know and I was describing earlier this idea of, of having a small piece of land and being able to grow a maize um, for you for a little bit of uh, maize, you know food that you can give to your family um, and I started looking at this idea of kind of transporting objects and, and maize in itself is also not an indigenous crop to Africa you know traditionally we'd be eating sorghum millet right um, it's it's from southern America but it's become a staple exactly right, okay. um, so the, in itself the maize has also become if you look at the origins of it, and it's, it's also an immigrant, you know, right. and it also for me represents this idea of movement and transportation and ownership. Um, and when I decided, when I when I was going to have this um, exhibition in London at the beginning of the year, I wanted to, in a sense, play with this idea of moving. And what was I going to? How was I going to represent myself as a Zimbabwean, as a, as an African in London? And, and so what I did was to then build this 
field of maize within the gallery. Um, but yet again, you know, by taking the life out of it, they were made out of steel. Um, they they become monumentalized, mm. you know, and I'm trying to elevate and, and, and sort of show the, the, the value and importance of these things to, to survive. Yeah, something which is in some extent quite sort of insignificant or quite a cheap product, which really is of essential importance for so many people. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, so this, this show was in the beginning of this year in Tyburn Gallery with, um, this, it was called Uprooting, right? Which it's I think is a, yeah. if we're thinking about place, you know, as sort of the second pole to approach his work with. Um, and maybe just show some of the, yeah, it was exhibited with this, which is on show here, and Lost Ground. Um, right. So this, for me, in any way, I think that your early works were so much about materials, and that concern is still here. But these are very, well, it's called uprooted. It's also very rooted in, mm. in, in your own sort of history and your own reality yeah. as well. Well, what I love about uproot is that it's such a literal word. Yeah. You, know, you really, uh, you talk about rooting. Um, we talk about uh, people being uprooted or things being uprooted as well. So I love that ambiguity between um, humanity and also you know, plant and, and, yeah, right. and life. The word can be used for both things, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. planting roots and uprooting. Um, and this is a, these are, um, they called the Zimbabwe birds, and they were seven birds, eight birds actually originally, that were found at Great Zimbabwe, which is the stone, stone city that was found, was built in the 14th and 15th century, and discovered by c colonial treasure hunters in the late 19th century. Right. And these birds were carved out of soapstone, which is a, a local stone found in the area, and were used as a kind of totem or medium, spiritual medium. The, the birds themselves are representative of, of the battler eagle and the fish eagle, which play a very important part in Shona cultural um, traditions and religious ceremonies where they become mediums for communication with ancestors, um, which is a big part of Shona culture. Um, but the birds, which were, who, when they were found by colonial hunters and sort of uh, colonial interests coming into the country, were then removed from the site quite violently, dug, dug out. Um, um, they were originally made out of one piece of granite or one piece of soapstone. And some were even sort of just chopped off and just the top parts taken. And some were uprooted from the beginning. And a lot of them were placed in the... Um, sorry, it's a very small image, unfortunately. Um, but they were placed at the Natural History Museum in, in Cape Town. Um, so this is an archive image from, from that museum. And removed by Cecil John Rhodes, right? Not, not, not directly by Cecil like John given Rhodes, to but, but one was actually given to him, him as, a, as a gift. And the, um, the others were then given to the Natural History Museum in Cape Town. Right. Um, I'm sorry, I can't make this any bigger. And um, what then transpired was then, so Rhodes then when the birds were originally found, they, they have, a, if you look at them sculpturally, they have quite a lot of um, similarities to Egyptian, you know, the kind of Egyptian bird. Uh, so 
they were interpreted as being not actually African, but by representing or suggesting that Africa had actually been already colonized by some sort of Egyptian or Phoenician culture in the, in the 13th and 14th centuries. And in that way would then legitimize colonial aspirations to, mm, to, to take over and to you know, indigenize um, the colonies. So they became this sort of political tool, basically. Um, and subsequently, um, the bird itself, especially significantly the one on the right-hand side, which is actually on the flag, the Zimbabwe flag, um, that, was, that one was actually discovered after the treasure hunters. Um, so that one had always remained in Zimbabwe. Um, uh, so it's a long story, but basically the bir these birds have always been at the sort of forefront for um, the ideas around ownership, right. um, especially political right. ownership of the country. So both in sort of indigenous cultures, but also in a political way. Because, exactly. it's going because they were eventually repatriated to Zimbabwe, right? So after independence in 1981, the birds were returned um, to, to Zimbabwe. Not, not out of any sort of goodwill, but there were actually there was a deal struck uh, between the National History Museum in Bulawayo, which had a, an enormous collection of um, insects, very, yeah. very well known, like the big, largest collection of, of insects in, in southern Africa, I think. And they were swapped for, for the birds, swapped to the Natural History Museum in Cape Town. Um, but it was a big political um, sort of home, you know, not, not political, but there was a huge celebration when the birds were returned um, in 1981. Except for one bird which had found its way to Germany, um, and that one was returned in 1996. And there was also a, a big ceremony, and there was right. this kind of handover, the German ambassador giving the bird to Mugabe. Right. so very symbolic. Very, right? very symbolic. And I think it sort of involves your personal history as well, right? Yeah. It's just so this journey, exactly. So the, for me, the journey of the bird just came to sort of symbolize this idea of, of uprooting and migration and the desire to return to your home. Right, and, you and know, presence by force and being taken away by force. And exactly, exactly. These are some drawings by another Zimbabwean artist called Richard Mudariki, um, which just sort of shows how the value that's placed on them as, um, as, as cultural objects. Mm. For, for, for most Zimbabweans. And your choice, Steve, what are they? Are they cast in iron? Or they, they on are wood? In, in cast iron, yeah. And again, any particular reason why you use this material, why it's suggested to you, or um, you know, sort of a truth to material that you saw in I love sculptures. also just the weight of it in a similar way. Um, right. They're very, in very mentality. heavy. So they're cast in, in cast iron, so they, they, they are they're extremely heavy. Right. I loved, and also I was able to replicate Initially, I was thinking of actually carving them out of stone, but um, because I sort of jump around in different techniques, I didn't really get to grips with, with carving. Right. Um, but I, lo I, I love the way that the, the cast iron has that blackness, which is a very Zimbabwean stone, yeah, right. the color of the Zimbabwean right, stone. Right, it looks like it. Yeah. And um, in the exhibition, it was exhibited right against these What's it? Lost ground. They're lost ground, yeah. Very red, and maybe yeah. speak about that. And then we can um, have so some questions. This is just a reference image that I use. Um, and it just, I love it because it kind of combines a whole bunch of things. We've really looked at some of the ideas around labor and um, um, tools. 
um, and also the color of the earth and the marking of the earth. So here, the you know digging, uh, laying fiber, laying tubes, and things like that. Um, and so the birds were placed in front of this work, which is on show at the gallery booth at the moment, which is called Lost Ground. Um, and it's the sort of marks and etchings that are made into these, this red earth that is very Zimbabwean and quite sort of commonly found around Southern Africa. Um, and just playing with the idea of excavation and what that comes to represent and what it can. It can be a destructive or constructive force. Um, so just also looking at that kind of ambiguity. And media, materiality of this? This is also cast, initially carved out of clay and then recast in, in gypsum. Oh, okay. Kind and coloured, painted. Yeah. Okay, great. Anything else? Uh, yes. Yeah. Would you, would you mind just waiting for them, because they're recording, so just wait for the... There you go. Um, when I look at this piece, it looks like it's clay. Yes. So, unless I can pick it up and touch it and feel the weight and stuff, that, the pleasure's all yours in, in um, kind of recasting the clay in gypsum. Uh, but I, I wouldn't know, how do I get that? Um, yeah, you know, I'm I, trying, I mean, it's, not, it's not central to the, I don't think that's necessarily central to this work. Um, for me, it's the texture and the color of the piece. Mm. Um, it, look, sculpture is also a very practical thing. So to actually have these made out of clay is, is, is virtually impossible because mm. the panels, you can't fire enormous panels like that. So there's a constant kind of dialogue when I'm producing work. How can I interpret my idea into the material that I want to use, um, and then sometimes I, you know, I come against situations where I can't sort of move further, then you have to decide, okay, I'm going to change it in a certain way. But I think the great pleasure for me in this work is also the colour, because it's, um, I was saying to a group earlier today when I travelled overseas, when I came to Europe the first time, and then I went, after a year, went back to South Africa, when I got off the plane, I didn't realise it while I was in Europe, but when I got off the plane, I, I realised the thing that I missed most was red soil, because it's so distinctive African, right? It's something, even if you go to the dry part of Europe, like um, Italy or wherever, the soil tends to be white. But red soil, to me, that, you know, whether it's really clay or whatever, to me there's a pleasure in that, and in the recognition of, and of it, that and dry soil. And it actually soil. stains, you know, I also, if yes. you look at a lot of my work, charcoal, the red earth, they become... Not so much in once I've worked with them, but the the raw material, the, it leaves a mark. You know, mm. so if you're working with this stuff, you know your hands get your clothes become sort of red, and um, you have these beautiful colours in the studio. You know, washing off charcoal. You know, it marks. It creates dust. It it really marks you as mm. you're working with it. And residue of iron probably in the exactly. red. Exactly. Yeah. Any other questions? Anything else? Um, so, so we've been, or you've been mentioning um, place a lot, and um, and I was just wondering um, these these kinds of, of objects that you make they're imbued with uh, with so much of it, with so much place and so much um, paradoxes and uh, strife and like sort of real lived um, realities, um, but then they sort of get transferred um, into this this. Um, and we even uh, mentioned Cecil John Rhodes and monumentalizing um, things, casting them in bronze. 
which makes me think of the the roads must fall and how people are reacting to to um, public art and how public space is manipulated. Um, which makes me wonder, your um, these objects are that that's imbued with so much place is 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 being transported into this sort of non-space, this uh, white cube um, area. And um, I don't know if if you maybe like would want to comment on that, or if you can think of some problematics of uh, curatorial issues that's maybe um, inherent to the kinds of objects that you create. Sure, I mean, ideally, I'd love my work to be in, within the public realm. Um, uh, any chance I have, um, you know, I take the opportunity to do that. But, I, you know, I, I think the, unfortunately, the, the realities of trying to be an artist and um, also just the, the, you know, the certain sort of demands that, that, are, that have to be met and sort of transferring them into the white cube is, is certainly a... Um, a practical um, condition, but um, I, I have done some public work, and, and so whenever I have a chance to um, uh, present stuff for public commission, uh, I try and do that. And I believe that my work would, a lot of my work actually, I think, looks really great when it's um, when it's out in, in public situations. Mm. Um, I've just recently placed a work. Um, Outdoors in a in a, in a part of Johannesburg, because it's because it's so relevant to the street that um, mm -hmm. they really um, come to life when they when they're placed in the street themselves. And so also, I think, sorry, I was thinking they would make um, sorry they, they would make uh, they would make wonderful monuments actually, and you know, so much better than these like Dylan Lewis cheetahs and stuff we usually have. But um, on horses, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. But I mean, yes. I think it's important to remember that the white cube is, you know, is no longer this hermetically sealed, you know, with social media. I mean, you know, even if it's not physically in public spaces, it's very much um, available, right? And in I mean, public, even in this fair, it's, it's, it's wonderful to see so many people um, having access to all these fantastic galleries mm. from, from, uh, from all over the world, you know, representing African artists. And it's such a, a, a fantastic public space. And, and, and I think fairly accessible. And hopefully it goes from this white cube into public collections where it would be seen. I mean, that's yeah. hopefully one of the purposes of the fair, we hope. I, yeah. I don't mean to say white cube in it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to say white cube in, uh, I, I just mean it in its sort of, um, in the categorical sense, yeah, not necessarily sort of like a negative. Like right, right. Yeah. No, sure. no, I <laughs> Thank you for the presentation. I, I was just going to ask you about, therefore, this piece with the tents, yes. the 20 tents, because it seems to, to have had some kind of a journey, right? Could you be a bit more specific with that piece? Because I would like to know how people were reacting to it. Um, yeah, I mean, it was quite interesting. The initially, I think people were a little bit confused. <laughs> but... Um, it became, it became, it was became really solemn. Actually, I found that people would would really take their time and, and walk through it, um, and it really um, invoked a kind of sense of loss. Um, what is this made of? Ah, they it's so it's made out of this uh, uh, fabric, 
um, woven plastic that you would make those bags um, out of. Um, the red and white bags are usually made out of the same fabric, but this is just a white version of that. So they actually are, t the structure of the work is, is like tents, so it's steel, steel poles internally and then covered with, a, with this um, white plastic. Um, and the white plastic itself has also becomes uh, reused and repurposed uh, within townships and informal settlements. You see them start, you know, the bags are kind of opened and woven together and to fix leaking roofs and things like that. Um, so it also represents the kind of resourcefulness that, that is um, placed upon people in, in, in situations where it's quite tough to but it's build a home. in the sculpture part you've mentioned. Yes. It's not a public space. I mean, it's not like a street or a public park where people would come and sit here. No, it isn't. But we don't, those kind of spaces don't really exist in South mm -hmm. Africa. You know, here you, there's a lot of governments and, and arts councils and things like that. You know, there's a lot of um, support um, for public institutions. The, you know, the, the Johannesburg Art Gallery is, is basically about to close down because there's no money. Mm. Um, and. Uh, It's very hard. I don't know. I don't know where you would access something like that in, in southern Africa. But this is. I mean, yes, it's in a sculpture park, but at the same time, it is. You know, it's available to be seen, and I don't know whether it's published or pictures or that kind of thing. So yeah. there's an awareness that is raised. I think just by even seeing the picture for me is almost. I mean, I wasn't in the park, but it's almost in a way it's more striking because you can experience as it's sort of a on mass yeah. these tents, which immediately makes you think of a refugee camp. I mean, we're so bombarded with these images of you know, on the Syrian border. And as you say, it's, it's, it's quite jarring to all of a sudden then see it in a country which is apparently at peace. Mm. Um, so even if you didn't experience it there, it's in the reproduction of it that yeah. it's also quite powerful. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll put it in the, in the uh, courtyard here next, <laughs> next, next year. year. <laughs> <laughs> we heard it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a question at the back. It would look amazing. <laughs> yeah. Do any of the immigrants themselves, have they seen this piece? Do they know about this piece that you've made? So the people that you're making the piece about, do they know about it? Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, but I'm not... I, I'm, I'm looking at this piece as an outsider. You know, I'm not... It's also a, a representation of the kind of lack of access and the lack of understanding there's a, there's a certain sympathy on my part and a, and a heart, you know, there's a lot of heartbreak. But there's also a struggle there, you know, in terms of how do I access it, how do I access the people that, that have... Um, because refugees, you know, I'm not, it's quite interesting because if you look at Zimbabweans specifically, because that's my history and my story, um, you'll have Zimbabweans living in South Africa and all over the world from from all kinds of walks of life, but also from all kinds of um, economic uh, places. So from the very poor to the very rich have been, have, have had to sort of find ways of ma making new lives um, outside of the country. And, um, but this xenophobic attacks were 
directed at the poorer people. Exactly. In the society, right? But there were lots of other Zimbabweans living in South Africa, middle, living in middle class homes. That weren't targeted. That weren't affected by, by, the, same, yeah. by the same sort of. So it wasn't attacks. simple xenophobia, it, it was a, an almost an, it was an economic xenophobia to exactly. some extent, right? Which exactly. makes it more complex yeah. and interesting. Yeah. Mm. I'm just, uh, I'm going to say what I was thinking of asking you, but also just to add to what you just said. Um, the people, I know quite a lot of people who were living in South Africa at the time who were maybe more middle class or maybe in more affluent situations who were Zimbabwean, who were f aware of what was happening and very scared. Ra like, regardless of whether they were affected, there was like a kind of like, could it end up affecting us? Yeah. But, um... What I was going to ask about was um, the relationship between your sculptural pieces and, and the white space and things like that, and photography and the, f the photographic work that you've shown today that it sort of shows us like the um, the images of the actual objects in in, the si in situ and then what you've turned them into and how they become um, these uh, sort of your representations of them. Yeah. Or, or, um, do you feel that it's necessary to have them kind of side by side or near each other? Do you ever consider? I love, I love, I love taking the picture. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, 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 it's something, a part of my practice that I'm still exploring. Um, but certainly I find that the act of taking the images and collecting my material um, is also um, a part of the work. Because it, for me it also becomes a kind of record, um, especially with these kind of semi-permanent things like, you know, I'll be driving down the road and then one day there'll be one of these signs and then the next day it'll be gone. Um, and for instance, the pictures of the townships, the, especially the informal settlement um, opposite me, and it's a work that I'm considering at the moment, but one of the huge risks of living in these squatter camps is that um, people will come home and they'll be a bit drunk and they'll start cooking and there are these horrendous fires that just rip through um, and just devastate like 50, 60 shacks and there's just nothing you can do about it. Um, so the one day you'll drive to work and you know there's a squatter camp and the next day it's just burnt. There's just nothing there. And it's just people's lives are just, you know, it's, it's, it's hectic. Yeah, and because um, you, you you know whatever small belongings you have just completely um, demolished and in a sense this is part of it you know it's just like being forced from your fairly meager living situation into an even more sort of meager living situation within this white tent um, so yeah my photography becomes a, a part of that um, keep trying to keep a record um, yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Thank you.